Hello, market participants. It's Friday, and I have successfully hedged my position against an overheating podcast market. That means we're going to talk about three things in credit, not four, three. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring to your attention three things that we think are relevant to credit markets that you should know about. Let's get started. This week, our three things are, one, the cost of just about everything manufacturers need is jumping as the economy roars back to life. Beware of margin compression over the next couple of quarters. Two, the CEO of General Electric turned out the lights on GE Capital this week. There are important lessons learned from this saga. We'll elaborate. And three, the American Rescue Plan is here. We'll sort through the hype and tell you what it means for creditors. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Type inflation into your Google machine and 66 million entries pop up. It's everywhere. And I don't have to tell you that in a world of massive forces colliding to shape markets, none is more influential or frankly more controversial at the moment. Everyone must answer for it, whether you want to or not. Our view is that a case can be made, probably the best case in decades, for inflation, and so you have to prepare for it, certainly if you are managing money. From a pure credit standpoint, from our perspective, moderate inflation is a good thing. I don't think we're alone in that viewpoint, as we spent much of the past decade worried about deflation, which can be far more insidious to credit. But we digress. Our view is that you cannot go through what the economic world went through in 2020 only to, presumably, roar out of that downturn with the stimulus-fueled, red-hot economy that many are anticipating in 2021. Our focus is on what's happening on the manufacturing side of the economy. There you have disruption and shortages of seemingly all-factor inputs, energy, materials, and appropriately skilled labor. This has gotten a bit lost in all the other storylines you've been sifting through. But it is very real. Take a look at ISM Manufacturing PMI. It has rebounded back to historic highs, reflecting the boom taking place driven by relief money today and in anticipation of recovery and additional stimulus in the future. The prices index component expanded for the ninth consecutive month to its highest level since July 2008, indicating quote, continued supplier pricing power and scarcity of supply chain goods, unquote. A couple of anecdotal comments from the report. Things are now out of control. Everything is a mess. And prices are rising so rapidly that many are wondering if this is sustainable. All 18 industries surveyed report increased prices overall for raw materials. Commodities up in price, 48 line items. Commodities down in price, one item, dairy for those keeping score. On the labor front, for the sixth straight month, significantly more companies are looking to hire than reduce their labor force. So while we do not believe we are looking at a sustained rise in inflation, we're clearly looking at a spike that figures to be with us over the next couple of quarters. And that will surely test market sentiment, even with the clarity with which it has been telegraphed. From a creditor's perspective, it also figures to hit the margins of industrials, which figured to rebound off of 2020 cyclical lows. In the capital goods space, for example, and using the S&P 500 as our universe, margins went from 9.7% in 2019 down to 7.9% in 2020, and is forecast to get back to 9.4% for 2021. 
we believe the dynamics now playing out will pressure margins ultimately back below 9%. Over the course of the year, this should work its way out, assuming all goes to plan with regard to vaccine effectiveness and the great return to normal. But this return does not figure to be in a straight line. Margins of industrials are just one example. Watch closely. All right, on to our second thing, the simplification of General Electric and the lessons learned for creditors. Yesterday's Wall Street Journal ran a story on General Electric's deal to combine its jet leasing unit with AirCap, a move that the paper characterized as CEO Larry Culp, quote, turning off the lights at GE Capital, unquote. For those of you, like yours truly, that covered GE for decades, the demise of GE Capital is both nearly unthinkable and highly predictable at the same time. The parent company became dependent on GE Capital's earnings over the years to meet its lofty growth objective and to cushion the volatility of its industrial businesses. This became increasingly problematic as GE Capital grew larger and more and more complex. Eventually, it became unsustainable and a core element in the great unwinding of GE, something that has resulted in the company's market cap dropping from nearly $600 billion in 2000 to just over $100 billion today and its credit ratings from AAA to B, A truly remarkable story. From it, there are important lessons to be learned. From my perspective, there are three. One, diversification is not always better. Two, beware of managements that issue rigid earnings guidance. And three, specialty finance in massive size can introduce significant funding risk. Let's dig a bit deeper. When legendary investor Peter Lynch referred to diversification as diversification, he could have had GE in mind. In corporate finance, we generally think of diversification as the spreading of risk. When thinking about conglomerates, however, this can be problematic compared to pure plays. The appeal, you decide if there's a certain irony here, is that if you spread risk, smooth volatility and performance, take advantage of large-scale and borrowing markets and certain functional operating efficiency, it's all good, right? Well, the flip side of this point of view is diversification in the context of conglomerates introduces span of control issues, misaligned incentives, suboptimal resource allocation, and strategic delusion. A GE is a case study in what can go wrong in a conglomerate, especially one where the diversification came through acquisition rather than businesses grown tangentially and organically. GE eventually became a wildly disparate collection of businesses that bristled under headquarters' distant but heavy hand. The company often ended up with the worst of all worlds. It ran the risk of deflating whatever magic was in the acquired business while creating tension through meddling beyond its core competencies. The result was clashing cultures in too many businesses in too many jurisdictions. There was always a problem somewhere. And these problems were made worse by GE's long-standing tradition of giving rigid earnings guidance. The practice created misaligned incentives throughout the organization, leading to accounting controversies and a systematic pattern of unexpectedly large write-downs. GE Capital grew dangerously large. Given its eventual size, $660 billion of assets at the peak, 
and its lack of a meaningful, less credit-sensitive deposit base and large concentration of difficult-to-securitize assets, GE Capital's funding risk became a serious issue for the parent whenever there is a disruption in wholesale funding markets. This risk grew, of course, each time GE was downgraded. Eventually, the market rejected much of what GE had built. A cautionary tale, indeed. All right, on to our third thing. Perspective on the American Rescue Plan. First things first, the package is $1. trillion. Now, the size hasn't budged from President Biden's first iteration of the plan. The size chosen is not by accident. It conveniently matches the size of his predecessor's corporate tax cut, making it difficult for Republicans to object to the ultimate amount. Say what you will about Joe Biden, but he knows his way around Washington. A second point on the size. It's big. It delivers on Janet Yellen's cry to go big. And it must be disappointing to Larry Summers, who thinks it's three times bigger than needed. I must say it is striking to see that in the past four months, stimulus equal to 24% of GDP is a striking data point. I was struck by some of the rhetoric out there. This is landmark legislation that will lift millions of Americans out of poverty. Uh, no, that's not true. We all know that much of this is a booster shot. It's transitory in nature, the equivalent of a sugar high that will fade as we roll through 2021. With history as our guide, we know that much of it will be saved, not spent. And to be fair, about 40% of it will be used to do two things that are important to keeping the recovery on track. One, funding to deal with COVID-19, namely improving vaccine distribution, testing, and providing PPE. And two, aid to state and local governments, which, while not exactly targeted, will help keep people employed. Getting past the pandemic and keeping people employed are important benefits of the package, although they lack multiplier effects. Much of the balance is subsidies to individuals and small business. That will set the stage for the much-anticipated increase in consumer spend as the vaccines get distributed, regardless of whether or not we achieve herd immunity. We know the vaccinated are going to unleash some of that pent-up spend. But we are a bit more grounded in terms of what we think the boost of the economy will be. Remember, folks saved a lot and paid down debt a lot in 2020. They also spent buying things they could, like cars and homes and things to furnish those homes, in place of things they couldn't, like vacations, restaurant meals, and entertainment events. And while we were surprised by the aggregate level of spend in 2020, we are not expecting the latest package to trigger the kind of spending jump that could be interpreted as the economy overheating. It's not like you're going to take two vacations to make up for lost time. Durable goods spending, which usually runs at annual growth rates of around 6%, grew at 12% in 2020. Plenty of this is going to end up in savings and in the boredom economy in things like Robin Hood and online gambling. And just as we prepare for turbocharged economic growth over the next three quarters, we'll have to steel ourselves for the correction. The, hopefully, soft landing, where we resume 2% growth, if we're lucky. Count us among the skeptical that that transition will be smooth. That landing could be a whole lot softer if Congress can pass a sizable infrastructure bill. Size whispers are in the trillions, plural, range, but that probably got a whole lot tougher by the administration going big on American Rescue 
on an entirely partisan basis. We were surprised by that tactic, but maybe we shouldn't be that naive. The point of all of this is, we believe there is enough slack in the economy to keep the Fed from changing its reaction function. It will at times feel like we are overheating, but sensible heads should be able to model out the landing, hopefully soft, that is on the way. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, this recovery is getting a bit unruly for manufacturers. Watch out for margin compression over the near term. Two, General Electric took another major step in its strategic unwind. For creditors, it's an important case study in assessing the risks of conglomerates and commercial finance. And three, the American Rescue Plan piles even more stimulus on the U.S. economy. Are we at risk of overheating? Thanks for joining. Go safely into the weekend, and as always, let us know what you think. And don't forget to visit kbra.com check on our latest research. See you next week.